on this episode of the Unusable Podcast. SEO and user experience. Google Core Web Vitals. Endlessly spinning knobs. Hello and welcome to the Unusable Podcast, where we discuss the importance of user experience in technology and the world around us, and talk about great design that just works, or moan about it when it doesn't. Hello, David. Hi, Andy. How are you? I'm all right, thanks. Yeah, are you... Are you? What are you drinking tonight? Oh, uh, so tonight I have... Uh, Actually, I, I don't care. What? Nobody oh. nobody cares. <laughs> they, might, they might do a little bit. So I've, I, I'm currently on a, a Budweiser Budvar, Ooh. Uh, which is Czech lager. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, well, I've nearly done, to be honest. And then all I'm right. going to move on to something more exciting. But I'll, 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 I'll let you know when I crack that open. Drunk already. Oh, great. Oh, I, yeah, I'm totally getting drunk. I'm not even started. Mine's from a little craft brewery called... Uh, I don't know what the craft brewery is called, but it's called Luna Lager. Is that a very uh, little tin? Yeah. I, I've not even opened it yet. So you're like way ahead of me. Are you going to be like sozzled? Sozzled the word? Drunk yeah, is what I mean. Drunk. Right. So what are we talking about today? Abs- absolutely caboozled. Okay. Um, what are we talking about today? So I recently I've been reading about the fact that Google has, uh, Google is planning to change its its algorithm. Okay. Search algorithm. Yeah. For, for, S- yeah, for SEO. Okay. And they, they're introducing something called Core Web Vitals. Right. Which are new measurements that they're introducing that measure measure people's user experience on web pages. Okay. And they're going to be using that that data to influence search rankings. So I thought we should should explore that a little bit. But more so the broad topic. So okay. having a look at what how uh, user experience influences SEO. So where do where those worlds meet. So the aim of businesses to appear as high as possible in search engines to get more business. Right. And user experience. So, you know, how, how someone visiting that website, you know, whether they have a, a smooth positive time on that site oh you know what one thing we didn't do is introduce ourselves i realized that right do you want to do that yes i am andrew Waite, and i am a SaaS product owner uh based in derby and i'm david ball i'm a front-end web and app developer nice <laughs> nice Okay, so let's maybe start from the beginning about Google's search ranking. So yeah, so what is what is Google doing from a user experience point of view? It's, it's trying to provide access to content. It's, it allows people to, to to find what they're looking for, right? As a as a search engine. Yeah, and and as a search engine, they want theirs to be the best. Because can you remember back in the day, there was all these new websites. And like the idea of a search engine to search all the websites was like a completely new thing. Yeah. And there was, what was that? Alta Vista, Ask Jeeves. Lycos. Lycos. Yeah. Okay. And they, they all kind of had a bit of a tussle, I suppose. And then Google, bit of a latecomer compared to some of those, came out on top because they, I don't know, they were just better. And so at any point, they could kind of lose that edge, can't they? Because there's other search engines around there like Bing and DuckDuckGo, probably more, but um, I can't think of any. But currently they're on top, right? Uh, like nobody says, nobody says Bing it. They say <laughs> they're going to Google it. Yeah. As much as that Microsoft try and tell you to say Bing it in all of their stupid advertisements and stuff. It's become a generic term, hasn't it? Like in the US, how people say Kleenex for a tissue. Yeah. Or how we might say Hoover for like vacuuming. Yeah. But people, I, yeah, I've done that before in our own um, software app. I've said, um, you know, I'll just Google for that. But I don't mean Google for that. I mean, use our search in our platform. But it, it, to me, it's just become synonymous with, with searching for something, hasn't it? Oh, yeah. So like even if I was to search my computer 
I might say yeah. I'll Google my computer. I say I probably wouldn't, but no, I, I, I would never do it in, in, uh, intentionally. But I've done it before as like a, a slip of the tongue because I'm just so used to using those words interchangeably. Do you ever do it in a in a shop? If you go and ask a ask an assistant, it's like it's my attempt at googling the shop. <laughs> like if I can't find something, I go I have to go and ask someone. That's me, sort of real world googling. <laughs> real world googling. <laughs> yeah, and the first before before you get to the actual thing that you want, you get three ads for stuff that you don't want. <laughs> 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 right okay so google uh they obviously want to improve their search engine so what's google's aim here right what they're trying to provide people what they want right they're trying to provide people what they want yeah okay we don't have to go into their like whole business model but they it benefits them to have the best search engine in the world yeah so they're going to make sure that, that they are the best at sorting the billions and billions of web pages that there are yeah. and they so they have this algorithm which which ranks pages for certain search terms right yeah and they've made changes to that algorithm over the years yes mostly for the benefit <laughs> always i say always for the benefit of the users if you think yeah. about it sometimes i've seen web developers get a bit sort of grumbly about a new update that's happened but it's always been for the benefit of of the user yeah i think usually when those search algorithms updates happen it's normally the spammy sites that suffer yeah yeah yeah. anyone that's got a legitimate good site with good content if anything it makes them come out better yeah it's always the kind of the spammy quick win type sites that that tend to be punished by those updates and that that makes sense right google's trying to surface the best content and that's usually not the the spammers that are just trying to game the algorithm yeah it's usually the people that are writing genuinely good content and trying to provide a good experience for for people yeah so well so let's just focus a little bit on that whenever you've got something that has rules like an algorithm there's going to be some people who are trying to maybe cheat it and there are some people who are trying to game it but maybe not cheat cheat right yeah yeah so that's where you've got the black hat seos who are people who like try and do dodgy things to get their their own websites higher up the algorithm but then you might also have people who call themselves white hat seos or just marketers i suppose who are trying to make sure that their websites or the websites of their clients or whatever do really really well in Google's ranking as in you know they're going to be high for, for the right search terms that's not cheating and that's not the spammy stuff that you just mentioned but yeah but it is it, it does mean that they're sort of understanding or trying to understand the rules of the algorithm and sort of play the game aren't they yes yeah they are so Google's made a few updates over the years to change which websites come out on or which types of websites will come out on top like uh, if you heard things like the panda update and the penguin update, things like that. I mean, there's there's loads more. Like there's one reasonably recently called Mobile Geddon. I don't know if that's <laughs> the name of the update. It was just some, something that people called it. So there was things like um, an update where they made location of the website more important. So say you're searching for restaurants or whatever, they're going to bring you back the results that have restaurants in at least your country or maybe your lo- local area rather than restaurants in like halfway across the world. Yeah. Yeah. You you can see why that's a benefit for them for Google to make that update, yeah? Yeah. I think the idea as well is they changed at some point, and I can't remember when this was, from just kind of blindly looking for terms that might appear on a site. So early on it was just like, oh, the person's asked for pizza, so I'm going to show them sites that mention pizza. But now they try and understand intent. So if someone's looking for pizza, what they're probably looking for is actually a pizzeria nearby because they're hungry. So let's show them yeah. let's show them like nearby takeaways. Okay, so Yeah, they're probably not wondering what a pizza is. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so they don't need the Wikipedia entry on pizza, you know, top of the list. <laughs> 
So, so I think that's what Google, I can't remember exactly when that update was, but they started looking at, yeah, no, you search intents and what people actually meant by something and then actually trying to smartly surface things. So now you get those, you know, where it used to be just organic results. Now you get those little panels, don't you? So if you search for something that's more location based, you'll get like the little map with three results. Yeah. Or if you search for maybe a product, you get the little box with like a list of products that you might be interested in buying. Mm-hmm. Or if you search for something that's more maybe a like a research term um, or a technical term, you might get like the Wikipedia panel where it brings up the kind of oh, yeah, information yeah. about it. It has like a um, short and, uh, snippet, doesn't it, of information? Yeah, or if you're searching for a flight, there's one for fl- There's loads of these different things. They're called, I, I think they're called like rich features or rich snippets. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a few different terms that people use for those. But yeah, Google's obviously just trying to give the user a better experience, right? If if as a, as a searcher, you are sat there, you're searching for something for a reason, right? They're trying to give you the, the best experience possible. Can I tell you about some of the other updates that, uh, that I can think of? Yeah, go ahead, yeah. Another thing that they they changed to benefit was for mobile browsing. So if you're Googling on a mobile, you want to make sure that the, the websites that are at the top are going to work okay on a mobile. So, you know, they'll have nice big buttons so you can press it with your finger rather than a tiny little mouse, things like that. Uh, and also that they should be fast. So that was, uh, speed was another thing that they um, changed their algorithm to benefit fairly recently. So websites that are faster now, kind of on average, will appear higher in the search ranking than websites that that load more slowly. Yeah. And you can see why that's a benefit. Yeah, because well, it all comes back down to the fact that they're trying to give the user the best result. And if you're on a phone and you're clicking a result and you're after some information, you want that to be to load quickly. You want that information straight away. You don't want to have to, you know, sit there. You'll probably leave and try a different result. So yeah, speed's crucial. And you can see why they include that as a ranking factor because it, it impacts someone's user experience yeah if i google for something and click on a link and if it takes more than like two seconds then i'm like no i'll I'll, i can't be bothered i'll click on the next one yeah the stats are horrific i think if it's more than about four seconds you lose like 50 percent of your visitors or something yeah yeah four seconds is an eternity (laughs) the the world we live in But but measuring speed is really, really hard, right? Because first of all, it can be affected by so many things. Like if the web server's busy at that moment, someone may have, you know, someone may have just one person may just have a really bad experience. But on average, your your speed's really fast. But, you know, the web server was, bit, server was busy or... Also, what if I'm on my phone and I'm on like dodgy 3G? Exactly. And it's really slow to load. That's not the fault of the web developer, is it? No, exactly. Or if, you're, if your computer's on a slowdown and, and the computer can't render the page very quickly or your ISP's got an outage and, and it's running slowly. Uh, Or maybe it's when your house is watching Netflix. And yeah, that's yeah. consuming all the internet. Like the, there are so many factors to this. I mean, that's one of the things that makes speed really, really hard to measure. Yeah. Okay. And the other thing is like, when do you consider something to have loaded, right? As a website loads, you know, you get, it's not like there's nothing and then all of a sudden it's loaded. It's like, you know, you start to get bits appearing and then a few more bits appear. Yeah. Maybe like right at the end, maybe some like analytic scripts are firing and it's still spinning, but like kind of the page has loaded. Like the images come in later. Yeah. Where do you put your sort of flag in the ground to say, you know, right, that this is the point now where we consider it loaded. Also, what if you're loading a YouTube video? Like you might start, it might have loaded the first 10 seconds of the video, but what about the the whole rest of it? Is the page fully loaded when the whole video is loaded? Yeah, ex- exactly. I mean, that's... It's complicated. There's lots of questions to, to be answered and it means getting a good measurement for speed is is really tricky. Uh, getting a good consistent measurement that's you know doesn't change every time you do it, that allows you to fairly compare websites because, you know, websites are built in different ways as well. How do you compare a website that's, for example, built on server-side tech where it takes a few seconds to render on a server before it's sent to the client to like a really client-heavy website where, you know, it's all JavaScript and it's like takes a few seconds to render on the client side 
Like these things are really difficult to, to accurately measure and across all the different varying technologies that we have on the web. Yeah, which one has the best experience is, is completely subjective as well. You might have you might have a porn site that's just text only that loads instantly, but you might have one that has all the images in that takes ages because it's got loads of images. Now that is a terrible example, obviously. <laughs> But <laughs> which porn sites are you going to that have got just text on them? I don't know. I'm just giving an example of a, a page that would load really quickly as one that's just text. Yeah, okay. It yeah, doesn't yeah. have any images, but it wouldn't necessarily have a great experience because true, it's it's just text. It's gonna be like ASCII art or something like that. It's gonna be bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> you got me thinking now about about ASCII art pornography. That, that's weird. <laughs> So focus, focus now. Focus, yeah, focus. So talking about speed for a while now, you've been able to measure speed in things like Google Lighthouse yeah. or in Google's PageSpeed Insight. So these are tools that Google give you to give you a, an idea of how fast your site loads, and that's that's essentially a user experience metric, right? You know, the, yeah. the user is going to have a better experience if if the website loads faster. Yes, definitely. So they have like four or five different metrics relating to speed. So they were measuring like uh, different phases of the loading time. Yeah. So early load measured by first contentful paint, um, which I should explain what a paint is, shouldn't I? So a paint is like when the browser updates. So like when something literally happens on screen. So as a website loads, as stuff appears on screen, each time that happens, that's called a paint. There's a little person inside the monitor just painting yeah. painting the screen. With a little set of humbrol paints. Doing a little... <laughs> humbrol paints. <laughs> that's a bit specific, isn't it? Um, yeah, yeah. So then getting on to sort of the mid load, you'd got first meaningful paint and the speed index. And then late load, you got time to interactive. And all these numbers, I mean, to be honest, it's a lot really for people to take in, isn't it? But um, they are, I think those, I think some of those are still staying around. Some of them are going, but essentially they've released these three new metrics called core web vitals. And it's not just looking at speed. It's looking at a more broad, they're, they're numbers that we can use to measure people's user experience on a website. Yeah. And these are things that Google have said will factor into search engine results. Oh, right. Okay. They don't today, but they will in future. Future. Okay. okay. What they are doing right now is they're updating all their tools to use these metrics. So if you ever use Lighthouse, which is the Chrome tool you can use to measure a site, or if you use PageSpeed Insights, or if you use the Google uh, Search Console, yeah. which is a thing where you can log in if you're an owner of a website and have a look at how your site's doing, they, they, they're rolling these three measurements out to all those places. So the first measurement they've got is uh, largest contentful paint, and that's measuring how fast the site loads or appears to load. Okay. So this is basically saying, how long does it take for the largest thing on screen to appear? Okay. That's the simplest I can make it. Like basically the biggest thing that's going to be on screen, whether that's a paragraph of text or an image, how many seconds does that take to happen? So if the biggest thing on screen is a is an image, it would be that? Or yes. And it has to be, I think, what's in the screen as well. So if you've got some, like if you have to scroll to it, that doesn't count. It's the, the biggest thing that's on screen. And and also what's interesting as well is if it's half on screen, half off, it's only the, the area that's on screen. Okay. So loading time has already been a factor in Google's search we know this but this is going to be their new measurement for it and it's going to be a ranking factor largest contentful paint and if it's over four seconds that's poor if it's under two seconds it's sorry under two and a half seconds it's good and in the middle is kind of like a well it's tolerable mm-hmm. so between two and a half and four so the next of the core web vitals Google's new measurements is first input delay, which is a measurement of interactivity. So this is when a user goes to do something on the site, is there a noticeable lag? What do you mean do something? So like click on a link. So say if the site loads, yeah. and as it loads, as it's half loaded, there's a button there that you could press on. 
Yeah. But maybe you press on it and it does nothing for a second because I don't know some because it's still it's still loading, I suppose. Yeah. Something's still loading and like it that's holding up your click from actually working. You, you know, you're, you're or you start typing and it's kind of it feels all sluggish like a Windows ninety five computer. <laughs> yeah. You, you type and then there's a delay and then eventually... The... Ten letters appear at once, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's first input delay, which is they, they say a measurement of interactivity. Okay. And then the last one is, which I find one of the most interesting personally, is cumulative layout shift. So this is measuring what they call visual stability. And what it means essentially is, does the page jump about as it loads? Or even as it's as, after it's loaded, does it jump about? You know, this is really annoying. You know, you, you load a site and as it's loading, you see the thing you want to click on. You go to click on it and as your finger is about to land on it, the whole thing just jumps. Yeah, because like an advert's loaded there or yeah, something. Yeah, and you tap on the wrong thing. So they call this cumulative layout shift. Which is really, really annoying. Yes. So like a news article with like a million adverts that loads like here, there and everywhere. It's always the local newspapers as well that have those. It seems to be, yeah. They're really trying to put as many adverts on the page as they can. Yeah, well, I think they're struggling, aren't they? They're desperate for any revenue. Well, yeah. But uh, so, yeah, those those three things that Google are calling core web vitals, and they're saying that these are the key things for for a good web experience. These are the good. These are the measurements we're going to go by. These are the metrics we're going to use. And like I said, they're rolling these out on t- into all their tools. So no matter where you go, you will see these same numbers. Okay. Uh, if it's a Google product, you'll see these 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 numbers. As a web developer, you 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 mean? Yes. Definitely. And these are going to become search ranking factors. They have pretty much said that they these are going to become search ranking factors. So websites with a poor loading speed, according to largest contentful paint, they're going to fare badly. Websites with a long first input delay, they're going to fare badly. Uh, and websites with a lot of things shifting about on screen, they're going to fare badly. So this is a really good thing for for, for users. I think so, yeah. Because it means that web developers are going to start having to make their websites better, as in not do all the annoying shifting about. Yes. If they want to, if they want to rank higher, definitely. So this is a really good thing. I think so. It's probably going to trigger much like when the when mobile first became a ranking thing, and when speed first became a ranking thing. You, you suddenly had this massive investment and change in in sort of websites where they suddenly went on improvement drive so that they they could rank better uh, because you know people want to rank better, they want visitors to come to their site, and I think it's going to cause the same thing again. I think you know you're going to get a big shift in people optimizing around these numbers, and you will probably again get some people trying to game them yeah. to get you know a, I don't know I can just imagine someone putting a, a large image on the page or something that's like loads really quickly just to get a good large contentful paint score but like gaming it if you know what I mean yeah yeah. but I mean, I... yeah it sh- it's probably going to trigger a, a lot of people to update their sites but I also think it's interesting for, for us as P- UX professionals that work in the web industry I think these are things that actually we should be looking at and measuring and monitoring ourselves like not from the point of view of, of, of wanting good search rankings but just to want to give our users a good experience like why aren't we measuring the cumulative layout shift of our pages to give our users a good experience like like that you know if you're interested in giving your users the best experience when they come to your site then we should have a handle on what those things are well i think that's the thing that a lot of people aren't are they? they're just interested in shoving an advert in someone's face for yeah for monetary purposes that's probably unfair to say, but... The, the, I mean, the thing is, there is nothing wrong with... Sh- the, the, these measurements are not going to stop you shoving an ad in someone's face. It just means that when the ad loads, that the page can't jump. So you've got to save a space yeah, for okay, it. Yeah. It's not that... They're not stopping ads. Yeah. It's just that horrible thing where you go to a site and you think it's loaded and then the ads load in and everything jumps around. That's not okay. But if you go to a site and there's like a blank white space where an ad's going to be, yeah. and then you know you start reading the content and the ad loads in, then that's fine because nothing's jumped. Yeah. So what I think it shows is that Google clearly 
cares about user experience. That's the most important factor for them. And that isn't just something that they want to influence on their own platform, which they obviously can because they're in full control of it, but they want to try and influence the, the websites that they're suggesting people visit. So it's a better user experience as well. Yeah, so they want to make sure that people are finding the best websites. Yeah, well, almost... All my... <laughs> I think it's a stretch to call a Google search result a recommendation, but in a way it is. You know, the number one search result is Google's recommendation as the best answer for what you've asked for. Yeah. And they want to make sure that that recommendation, that top result, is the best user experience. I think SEO and and UX are, are kind of very much intertwined and connected. Can I tell you about our latest Twitter followers, Andrew? Please do. Okay, so we've got James Mitchell. Hello. Alexander Martin. Hello. Jack Thakor Roger. Hello. Are you just going to go hello like a sort of Cockney policeman? Yes. <laughs> uh, Nick Fink. Hello. Emmanuel Coloma. Hello. <laughs> You're getting slightly more Cockney as it goes along. <laughs> uh, we've got uh, Megan. Hello. Evan Humphreys. Hello. Tom Dixon. Hello. Just <laughs> Justin Peterson. Hello, Governor. <laughs> Uh, Stephanie. Hello. Elisa Bacon. Hello. Craig Birchler. Hello. Eric Poigmarty. Hello. And Eliane Lachance. Hello. That was that was not repetitive at all. Hello, everyone. It's nice. It's nice to have you on board. Anyway, we uh, we appreciate all our followers and listeners. Yes, we do. Well, well, I do. <laughs> Don't know about you. <laughs> oh, do I sound ungrateful? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's not even a nightmare anyway. The one that I, what I want to tell you about is it's not even a major annoyance. It's a minor annoyance. Well, that's the best ones when it's really petty. <laughs> petty, annoying thing. Okay, so my so I've got a theory that whenever I whenever I buy something, especially if I'm replacing something, it has to be better than the thing I had originally. Hold on, hold on, hold on. So when your tub of butter runs out. <laughs> Your, no, I mean, I mean, say a tool, okay. a tool or a, a device or something in my house. So it's a kettle. I'm going to tell you about a kettle. Okay. So we've so we've got a new kettle. Yeah. It's the same company. It's the same model-ish, although it looks very different. And I'd expect because it's a new model of the same thing, they would have all of the features, but be better, right? Some designers obviously taken the original design and improved it because that's what happens. You know, technology improves over time. Yeah, but. But how much how much can you do with a kettle? But you a kettle is something that you use every day. Yeah. And therefore if you design it badly, it's gonna be frustrating. I bet this is something though where they probably just design them more to look nice so that people are gonna go, Oh, that matches my purple toaster. Well, true. Like they're maybe, not... but it is something that I use, like I say, I use all the time. It should be ergonomic. You know, thought should go into how it's used. Mm-hmm. And thought certainly has gone into how this has been used. It's not a necess- it's not really a cheap kettle it's not a mega expensive one but the old one had this a light a red light okay so when the kettle's on Hmm. i fill it up i turn it on using a a switch down the bottom and that makes a red light come on okay right and the red light is on the side of the kettle so if you imagine the handle is on the right the spout is on the left and there's a red light at the bottom so you know it's on so I know it's on. I've turned it on. I can see it's on. The new one, the red light is is where the switch is. And that's not where you can see easily. And that's not where I can see easily because I'm pressing the switch down. It's like a flappy paddle thing. Yeah. I'm pressing the paddle down and it's kind of backlit. 
with this white light okay. that I can sort of barely see. I mean, if the lights were off, obviously I could see it. But in a nice, well-lit kitchen, I can't really perceive that this white light is on. Whereas with the red light, I definitely could because it's a different colour. So what you're saying is that they should have an indicator light on the side because that's probably most likely where you'll see it. Because that's where I see it, yeah. Yeah, and it should be definitely visible. I, I assume they've done this for design purposes, though. It's like it probably looks sexy in a picture. It does look quite swanky, but... Practically. Practically, it's not as useful as the red light, which I could definitely see was on. Like I say, it's minor. Is this a sign that you should have had one of those fancy taps? A boiling water Instant tap? A boiling water tap. Well, that's too posh though, isn't it? Let me have my minor grumble about it. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Have you got any nightmares? Um, lots, but I can't think of any usability ones. Oh. <laughs> Can I flip this round and tell you about something that I admire the usability of instead? Whoa! I think that might be the first time that we've uh, ever talked about anything that's good design. Well, so behind me, as you may be able to see... Not on a podcast. Not on the podcast, but you, David, as we're on a video chat right now, may be able to see. Behind me, I have my amplifier. Can you see that? An amplifier. Yes, okay. And my amplifier. Right. <laughs> my, my amplifier. So it's just an old-fashioned amplifier. You can play music, got some speakers hooked up to it. Kind of basic. Great. It has a big volume knob in the middle. Okay. Oh. Now, this volume knob, as you might expect, when you turn it, turns it up and down. Yeah. And it has a, it has a little red mark on it to indicate what the current volume is. Good, good. Now, if you change the volume with a remote control, oh, the physical knob moves. <gasps> what? I didn't... It is the most beautiful thing in the world. I didn't expect that because that doesn't normally happen. I was thinking if there was a physical uh, a physical control, then you use remote control, it would get out of sync. That's what I thought you were going to say. No. So not normally in these cases, the volume knob's like an infinite thing. And it's just, you know, if you use the volume control, on the, you know what I mean? Like if you use the remote control, but the knob doesn't move, but then yeah, yeah. It's, it will just change it relative to where it, where you start changing it. But no, this, this is a physical knob. So whenever you look at the amp, where the little red mark is on the wheel tells you what the volume is always yeah and if you change it with the remote control the actual physical knob moves that's really quite clever and very useful it's a beautiful piece of engineering so you get that instant feedback you get to whenever you look at it you can just see instantly like oh yeah i get it okay so it's it's you know nice and quiet or whatever you don't need to play something to find out or change the volume to find out i don't like infinitely spinning knobs <laughs> i think there's a website where you can see one of them <laughs> <laughs> Let's not go into that. But you know what I mean? In in my car, to, to turn up the volume, there's an infinite spinning knob. Okay. Well, I've got to look at the screen to see what the number is. Or just listen for how loud it is. Or I've got to listen, yeah. Yeah. But I would much prefer if you could spin it all the way to the left for off and all the way to the right for on. And then I, I would know exactly yeah. where I am yeah. just by just by touching it. Yeah, the, the nice thing about this amp is that you, know, you look at the little red mark and you can see exactly where it is and you know instantly. So you know you're not going to get like audio blasting out really loud that you don't want nice so that's that's my good usability dream dream <laughs> is that the opposite of a nightmare just a pleasant dream uh what about good usability fantasy Fant- oh i was gonna say a wet dream is not yeah don't not oh god it's all taking a turn for the worse yeah, yeah fantasy good spinning knobs and wet dreams is not what i thought we were gonna get to <laughs> So if you're listening to this and you've got a uh, great story about spinning knobs, um, <laughs> please please let us know about what your favourite type of volume controller is. Um, or don't. Or don't. <laughs> <laughs> 
I've got another minor annoyance. Now, it is, again, this is kind of minor. So I'm sure I must have told, I've told you definitely. I don't know if I've mentioned on the podcast, probably. So I've got a, a Mac mouse, a Magic Mouse. And it's very annoying because you have to charge it with a cable yeah. in the bottom, which means that you can't use it while it's being charged, which is very frustrating. Yeah. And a very bizarre choice by Apple. Um, you've got to wait for it to be fully charged and then you can use it, which means um, I've got a spare backup mouse to use when it's charging. Ridiculous. Um, so, but what I've done now is I've switched to the, the older version that has batteries in it. Okay. And much better, I can replace the batteries when the batteries have gone. Okay. A bit more wasteful. A bit more wasteful, unfortunately. Yeah, I am going through batteries. Um, like maybe one of them maybe needs replacing every month, which is, yeah, annoying. But you, so it takes two AA batteries. Right, so I slide the thing off and I put in the two AA batteries. Now, with every device that I've ever had, when you're putting in two AA batteries, you put one in one way and you put one the other way, right? Do you know what I mean? Yes, that's always what happens. Always what happens. This is the only device I've ever known where you put the batteries both in the same way. What? It just, uh, it's not a nuisance at all. It's just, I consider it bizarre. Yeah, so that's weird because... If you were if you were talking about good UX and there was nothing there was no existing devices with batteries in the world you would say yes let's put them both in the same way even if that makes it a bit harder to make we'll put them in the same way because that just makes sense and people will get that right yeah. let's let's do that however the problem is if there's a convention that should totally totally override what's sensible because well that's it people will come into things no understanding a convention and you should go with the convention um yeah I'm just used to it now I think everyone in the world is just used to the way they put the batteries in and this is the one thing that is abnormal and it seems very bizarre to me yeah because it's a bit like i don't know i'm trying to think of something else like it's convention which way tightening and loosening say a lid on a bottle is right yeah if one product was going to change it then it would just be bizarre yeah yeah like even if they were trying to make it better even if they could come up with some really convincing reason why it's better that it goes the other way or whatever don't do it don't do it because convention <laughs> always is more important you know a, a good learned convention that people are going to be expecting yeah, but apple probably going well we're we're just doing what we want well why shouldn't it be done this way apple has a habit of that don't they yeah but i I, yeah i think that's a really good example though of yeah that you should always rely on what the user is expecting over over what may be a better design because yeah expectation is king yeah i think so talking about the prevalence of google and the popularity of google oh sorry i don't know how to help with that Yeah, so talking about the, the prevalence of Google, I actually made a concerted effort to switch to a different search engine. Oh, God. Because I don't really like the dominance of Google. I think they have the best search engine. However, I don't like the fact that they have a complete monopoly and the amount of data that they're able to collect and how privacy invading that is. I'm not keen on that. So I, I, I tried to switch to DuckDuckGo and the search results were so bad. <laughs> I, I tried switching then to Bing. Right, Bing it. Wasn't much better. I've ended up settling that actually getting decent search results is more important than privacy. Oh, what? I'm I'm back on Google. I'm back on Google. Oh, right. Okay. I mean, the problem is that they're kind of like an unstoppable force at this point, aren't they? They've just got the best tech and they can invest more in it. And the search result quality is from Google is excellent. You can just search for something quite abstract and it just gets what you meant and gives you the right result. And DuckDuckGo and Bing just don't at all. Like, yeah, yeah it's quite frustrating. Uh, it's just not, even though I would rather use... Yeah. I'd, what I'd like to see is more distribution in the search market. That's what I want to see. It's not that I don't like Google particularly. It's just that I just would like to see a viable alternative with a a decent market share keeping google on their toes but basically google can do what they want google can (laughs) sorry i don't 
every time you say Google, it sets off your Sorry, phone. I don't know how to... <laughs> it's unplugged. So that's the end of the podcast. If you've seen or used something unusable recently, we want to hear about it. You can email us, podcast at theunusable.com. And we're on Twitter at Unusable Podcast. If you've enjoyed this, there is plenty more. The last episode, we talked about planned obsolescence. And on YouTube, we've got a video of us talking about the naming of common elements on websites. If you'd like a t-shirt with our logo on, you can go to our web shop, which is available at podcast.theunusable.com. Music is by Gold54. Please subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast so you'll get a notification about the next one. Okay, that's it. Until next time. Bye. Bye.